This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Uh, This morning I want to talk about the Pharisees. Um, It's very important for us to know. We hear about the Pharisees a lot in the New Testament. Uh, They're often a, a... a subject of, of Christ's ire. Uh, he rebukes them often, and you know I've never really stopped to, to get a detailed view or an understanding of what is it that they believed. Who are the Pharisees? Um, so I started to look into that, and um, they began sometime around the Maccabean period. Uh, there was a time after their exile that they returned to Jerusalem, and uh, then they were taken captive again uh, by the Greeks, and there was some Jewish revolts that took place. And during the, the Maccabean period, roughly 160 B.C., is when the Pharisees, the sect of the Jewish religion, is thought to have arisen. And there was multiple sects. Um, and there was three popular ones, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and there was another group called the Essenes. Um, and the Pharisees, uh, if uh, a wise elder once told me, uh, it, he said, what's the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Uh, he said that the Pharisees affirm that there is a resurrection and there is a spirit and there are angels. Um, and that's fair, you see. And the Sadducees deny the resurrection and any, spiritual, uh, any spirit or afterlife. And that's sad, you see. Uh, so uh, that's stuck in my mind, but that's, but that's a, a quick, uh, fun uh, way to remember uh, the difference between these two groups. Uh, they were once aligned, and then they started to have more rifts between them uh, because they got more ingrained into their own thought process, into their own ways of looking at things. Uh, one of the things that the Pharisees wanted to do, uh, the Sadducees wanted to look at the kingly or the priestly line and say, this is who the holy people are, this is, and it was more of this theocratic system where the religious leaders, the, high, the people in high power, were the ones that were the most religious and they were the priests. But the Pharisees, rather, wanted it to be more democratized and say that in accordance to really how God had viewed uh, things from Exodus 19. And he said he wanted his people to be a kingdom of priests. And so they said really the power for all of us to be priests is present there in the law if we're following these things in our daily lives. And so anyone can be a priest in being off- offering worship to God essentially, uh, not that they would break the, the commandments and appoint priests who are not from the line of Aaron, but more, that, more than putting the importance on the people is really kind of what they, they began to do. Uh, and so they started off with good intentions, but by the time we get to Christ, it seems like they've gotten so deeply ingrained in, in, uh, in certain things that they believed that it veered totally from their, their original intentions or original purpose. Um, the word Pharisee comes from the word farash, or uh, to separate. Um, and uh, and I, I'm probably not saying that right, but, but it means to be separate. And so their desire was to be separated, to be consecrated to God, to be separate from Gentiles, to be separate from the people of their own country who were not going to follow the commandments of God, and any heathen influences that would cause them to become unclean. And so because of that desire, they started to take on these weird customs where anything physical that was unclean would become, come to make you spiritually unclean. That helps us understand their reaction to Jesus when he comes into the world and he's eating with sinners and there's unclean people touching him and he's going into these places that they would never dare to go into. Uh, when Simon, who was a Pharisee, invited Jesus into his home, um, when he invited him into his home in Luke chapter 7, this woman comes as they're eating dinner and she comes and she starts to touch Jesus' feet and she's weeping and, and washing her uh, his feet with her tears and wiping it with her hair, and she breaks this, this alabaster box, which is something of great high value, and would have broken that and anointed his feet with this, with this oil of spikenard. And it says in Luke 7, now when the Pharisee, Simon was his name, that had bidden Christ to, to eat with him, when he saw it, it uh, spake within himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she's a sinner. Their view is, this woman who is a sinner is touching this man. If he was really a true prophet, he would want to keep himself separate and keep himself clean. 
And so I think in their view, they, they thought Jesus was becoming unpure spiritually because this sinner, this woman, was touching him. Um, you can see it in other ways when they, when they make comments about the disciples, um, you know, uh, eating with unwashed hands. They thought because they had unclean hands, it was going to make their soul unclean and make them unpure. Uh, Luke 15, 1 through 2, there was another instance. They saw Jesus eating with publicans who were very uh, hated amongst the Jews. They, publicans were Jews that decided to serve the, the kingdom of Rome and were tax collectors. And they were very hated among the Jews. Um, uh, Luke 15, 1 through 2, it says, Then drew near to him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They were so appalled by this. In their mind, they need to be separate. We need to be separated from these people. We can't eat with you. We can't be with you. We can't touch you. And you can't do that to us because that would make us spiritually unclean and unpure. So they're, they're really, uh, while some of them wanted to hear Christ, you see they have a desire. The Pharisee invites him to his home. They have this deep-rooted uh, misguided understanding of what it means to become spiritually unclean that guides their view. And so then now they're just kind of appalled at this man who claims that if he, if he was really a prophet, he was really the Messiah, he wouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. So what was some of the other things that they believed? Well, along with this deep ingrained idea of being separate, um, and, and I don't know if the name Pharisee is one they took on themselves or people just started to describe themselves that way because they, they were separatists. Um, Here's some of the other things they believed. If you're comparing them to the Sadducees, uh, the Sadducees had a much more strict and literal interpretation of the law of Moses. And they, they believed in the Torah, which is the first five books of Moses, and they said, this is the word of God. That's what we need to follow. Whereas the Pharisees had a much more loose interpretation of the scriptures. And they had all these, uh, we'll get into that in a moment, but they had a, a loose interpretation based on scholarly opinions and the rabbinical teachings and the explanations of how to carry out the Word of God. And that's kind of what they, they did. Um, now, they did believe in one God. That was one of the bases for their, for, for, their, for their foundation. I mean, that's something that's taught in the Old Testament Scriptures. There is one God. They believed that. Yet, when they saw the one God in front of them, confirming to them that He is the Son of God, that He is the Christ, they believed he was a blasphemer for what he was doing. In Luke 5, 20 through 24, when, when Jesus saw the faith of these men who lowered the man, and uh, they broke the roof and they lowered the man on his bed, he saw their faith and he said to him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, they, there was one God. Why is this guy claiming to be God? He's forgiving sins, so now he's, he's making himself God. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, What reason you in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say to you, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. He was proving to them by healing him, by doing both that were, that were uh, it was a rhetorical question, they were both only things that God could do. And so he proves to them that he is the one God. Um, he forgives the sins, and to prove that his sins are forgiven, he heals them of this infirmity right before their eyes. They placed importance on the law of Moses. They did. They, they believed that you should follow the commandments of Moses. However, they were not consistent in keeping the law themselves. It seemed like they did things and appointed things and, and rebuked people when it was convenient. Um, and gave themselves a, some leniency, but would not give that to others. Uh, for example, on the Sabbath day, now it, there was a commandment in the Old Testament that if you have a cornfield, you should leave some of the husks there. So if there's a passerby, if there's someone that's traveling through and they're hungry, they're able to get some of that food. And, and there was limitations, of course. There was like, you can't just bring your wagon over and fill it up and take from this person's field. But if you're taking handfuls for yourself to eat, you're getting just what you need, that's different and that's fine. And they weren't allowed to, to labor uh, necessarily, but they were able to get that to satisfy their hunger. That was a commandment in the law. There was also commandments against them working and laboring on the Sabbath. 
Well, the Pharisees wouldn't allow one to supersede the other. Matthew chapter 12, 1 through 8, it says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. This was fine according to the law. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. They said, Your disciples are working. Your disciples are, are participating in acts of labor because they reached out and grabbed this corn, rubbed it in their hands, and they're eating it. And that was their view. You're in violation of the Sabbath day because you're doing this work. But Jesus said unto him, Have you not heard what David did when he was hungry and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat. If you go back and look at the commandments, the showbread was only for the priests. The, the showbread was only for the people who were of the line of, of, of Aaron. In Leviticus chapter 20, uh, 20 and 21, I believe it, it outlines some of those practices. And it says, anyone that is not of that lineage, of that family that eats it, is in violation and is, and is breaking the commandments of God and should be accursed. Yet David, who was from the line of Judah, when he was fleeing for his life, and, and his band of men, they were hungry, they came to Abiathar, the priest, and said, do you have any food? And, and the priest said, I don't have any food here but the showbread. And so he gave it to him. And it was technically unlawful. But there's a higher principle at play, and there's a principle of mercy. Um, and he talks about that. And he, he, uh, it's not lawful for David to eat, neither of them that were with him, but only for the priests. Have you not read in the law how on the, on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say to you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not condemn the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Jesus is telling them uh, there's someone greater here than the temple. And I am authorizing, number one, he was authorizing this, but number two, it was not a violation of the commandments at all because there was a higher principle at play, and that is the principle of mercy. These men are hungry. These men are, these men are on this journey, and it was lawful to give them rest on the Sabbath from their hunger. It was lawful to help them. And Jesus asked those kinds of questions to the Pharisees. Is it, is it okay to do something good on the Sabbath day? And this was a great contention because he healed a lot of people and did a lot of things on the Sabbath day that the Pharisees are looking at going, you are violating the law of Moses because they had such a, such a desire to follow the law of Moses. Luke 14, 1 through 6, it came to pass when he went into the house of, of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. They were always looking, always waiting to entrap Jesus in his actions or his words, constantly testing him, constantly trying to just figure out a way to, to catch him and trap him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake to the, the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Is it okay? Do you think that's violating the law? If this man were to be healed on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. They didn't want to say. They believed it was. And he took him, and he healed him, and let him go. And he, an and he answered him, saying, which of you will have an ass or an ox falling into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Jesus knew their actions were inconsistent with what they were saying. Yeah, they wanted to keep the law of Moses and they wanted to be buying these heavy burdens on all these other people and accuse them of violating the law but will not look at themselves and they give themselves leniency and are easy on themselves. They have an animal. Oh, this is my farm animal. I need it. And he's stuck, and it's, it's hurting. I need to reach in there and do what I can and pull him out. Somehow that's okay, but for a man who is suffering, a man who is, is dealing with a disease, their own countrymen, they cannot bear to look at this man and say, he deserves to have healing from Christ, our own countrymen. They, they value animals, their own animals, more than their own kinsmen. And Jesus is trying to help them see that and, and correcting them. And again, they could not answer to these things. They didn't really know what to say. There's nothing to say. They knew they were in the wrong. But they were just hanging on to this so much that they could, they just, it just bothered them so much. Another example he gives them, 
here's commandments. When they, when they conflict, what do you do? Moses said, on the eighth day, circumcise a male child. And the law says, don't do work on the Sabbath day. Jesus says, Moses, therefore, in, in John 7, 22, Moses, therefore, gave to you circumcision. Not because it's of Moses, but because it's the Father. It, it supersedes the law, predates the law is what he's getting at. And you, on the Sabbath day, circumcise a man. He's saying, you carry out this other commandment on the Sabbath day. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry at me because I've made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus is telling them, you need to judge righteous judgment. Why is it okay for you to keep the law of God and say, this person needs to be circumcised just the way God said, so that they can be part of the covenant of God's people. Yet on, you're, you're mad at me because there's a man who is suffering with sin. He is suffering with his physical ailment. And I healed him and, and freed him. And you're mad at me for that. And they were. Oh, they hated Jesus. for the, They wanted to kill him for these things. Um, they were so dedicated to the keeping of the law of Moses that even after there was a group of Pharisees that did convert that did believe in Christ as the Messiah, that were baptized into Christ, that were disciples of Jesus, they were still carrying this devotion to the law into the church. And they said in Acts 15, verse 5, it says, there rose up a certain sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and command them to keep the law of Moses. They had such a, a devotion to the law of Moses that they said, now when this new group of people was coming into the church, the Gentiles, they said, they need to keep the law of Moses. They need to be circumcised. In their body, in their flesh, they need to be circumcised so that they will actually be saved. That's how much they cared about keeping the law of God. Yet, they didn't keep it properly themselves. They were inconsistent with their keeping, and they, were, they misunderstood, especially in the days of the church, the purpose of the law and and devaluing the sacrifice of Christ in their devotion to the law. Uh, of course, there's correction that's issued here in Acts 15 on these things. Now, apart from their devotion to the law of Moses, in, the way, in one way that they differed from the Sadducees, who believed this is the Torah, the first five books of Moses, this is the law and what we should follow, they also put great emphasis on the oral traditions. This was commentary. This was uh, the opinions of, of great rabbis and teachers among their people that they wrote down. It was a sophisticated legal commentary. It was the legal commentary because they, they thought this is just as binding as what the law of Moses said. And the way they viewed the oral law was it's filling in the gaps that we, that we have uh, missing out of the law of Moses. And it told people how to carry out the law of Moses. Now, The problem is that they followed this oral tradition much more than the law of God, the true law of Moses. Mark 7, 1 through 5, Jesus rebuked them for this very thing. Then came together unto him the Pharisees, in Mark 7, verse 1, then came together him, unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples break uh, eat bread with, with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. They were appalled by this. Why were they so appalled by this? Was it something that the law of Moses said, you need to wash your hands every time you eat food? No. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands often, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. It was a tradition passed down from their elders. It was something that came down from this, this uh, rabbinical law. These great teachers had developed this this uh, system and this process and saying, okay, if you, want to be un if you want to be clean, when you eat food, you better wash your hands. And so they're constantly cleaning their bodies, thinking that whatever they put in is what's going to make them unclean. Um, and when they come from the market, except they wash, they go out to the marketplace, they're out in the world, they've become unclean. So now when they're coming home, they're washing themselves off. They're taking a bath. Every time I go out to town, I come back, I'm going to be washing myself because I don't want to become spiritually unclean. And many other things there be which they have received uh, to hold, such as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables, constantly cleaning everything and wiping everything down and doing all these things so that they don't become spiritually unpure. 
why then the Pharisees, this is, this is their, their background and what they're so devoted to is the, the uh, tradition of the elders. And they were so devoted to that, when they see the disciples of Jesus not wash their hands when they eat, they're so disturbed and bothered by this. And they say, why walk not thy disciples according to the t- tradition of the elders, but they eat with one unwashed hands? Your disciples are violating the tradition of the elders. Why are they doing this, Jesus? Um, and so, of course, Jesus corrects them and says, it's not what you eat and goes into your body that makes you defiled, but it's what comes out of your heart is what actually makes you defiled. Um, the, the emphasis was on the totally wrong thing. Following this encounter and this, uh, as they ask him this question, why are they violating the commandment of the elders? Jesus rebukes them and very clearly explains what their problem is in the following verses. Uh, there, starting in verse 6, he answered and said to them, Well has Isaiah the prophet uh, prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, as the washing of cups and pots and many other such like things do ye. And he said to them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses, and now he starts to give him examples. He said, you've set aside the keeping of the commandments of God, and you've put way more emphasis on the tradition of the elders. And all these things they're telling you do, like to wash your hands and wash yourself and wash the pots, wash the cups. And you think that this is making you holy and closer to God, but the reality is you are very far away from God. Your heart is far from me. The worship that you're offering, the way that you're living is vain. It's empty. And now he gives them examples of how they violated the the law with their traditions. He says, Moses said, this is from the commandments and the law, Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. Those were injunctions that they received from the commandments of Moses, the law. But ye say, their tradition of their elders that they developed says, If a man say to his father or mother, it is korban, that is to say, it's a dedicated gift to God, it's a gift, by whatsoever you might be profited by me, he shall be free. So you could get out of the requirement to honor your father and mother, and that doesn't mean just respect them, but in the the Jewish law, you were supposed to be a provider and take care of your own, and even those of your own household, and especially your father and mother, you take care of them and you provide the things that they, they have need of. And he says in verse 12, what's the conclusion? Because of their tradition, you allow him no more to do anything for his father or mother. You allow him to totally ignore and abandon his father and mother by your tradition, so long as he says, well, what I'm doing, everything that you would have gained from me, it's dedicated to God and I'm giving it to him instead and not you. And oh, you're okay when technically they're cursing the father and mother, they're not honoring their father and mother and are in violation of the law. But through their own commandments, they find a way around it. They try to make all these loopholes and try to make all these ways to get through it, and they say, okay, no, it's fine. And what are they doing? You are making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have delivered. And many such like things do ye. You've made the Word of God of no effect. You've taken away the effect of the Word of God, and you've made it useless in the life of this person because of your own traditions. And because of these own traditions, all these things that they did, they held so much and value and put so much value on the oral traditions that they received, the interpretations of of the commandments and the laws and the rabbinical teachings. Because of that, they became so self-righteous. They thought they were doing so great, but they were so not. Jesus gave them a a very clear example and parable in Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. He spake this parable to certain that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others because of this. We see that 
in the questions they asked Jesus with the disciples, your disciples are eating with unwashed hands. They despised that. They hated these people who were not going to follow. They despised Jesus. You're letting this sinful woman touch you. You're eating with the publicans and the sinners. They hated that. Because they thought, look at all the, look at these things that I'm doing. I'm following the traditions of the elders. Therefore, I am holy. Therefore, I am pure. And you're unclean and you're lesser than me now. Stand thou here. I think there's a prophecy or a verse in Isaiah 65 that says that. God despises that. The people have this attitude. Stand thou here for I'm holier than you are. Don't come near to me. You're going you're to make me unholy. You're so unholy compared to me that if you come close, I'm going to become unholy. So just keep your distance. And that's what the Pharisees believed. These two men went up to the temple. He gives an example and a contrast. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now you would think, hey, the Pharisee, he's good. He's got it made in the shade. The publican, man, that guy has no hope. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing far off, would not so much as lift his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. These, these Pharisees were putting themselves in such a lofty position, claiming to be so holy, that God says those are the ones that are going to be humbled because they're not as great as they think they are. And the reason they thought they were so great was because of the oral traditions that they place so much emphasis on the tradition of the elders. Um, fasting twice in the week and doing all these things, that wasn't, some of those things were not things the law required, but it was what their oral law required. And so they felt so justified in, them, in their own selves and became self-righteous. These people, the Pharisees, in the day of Jesus, were, were among the most influential teachers of the people of the Jews. And they held a lot of influence. And they took it very seriously and said, we need to go and teach people the law of Moses. But really, they became arrogant in their role as teachers of the law. Jesus exposed this and points this out in Matthew 23, 1 through 3. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They sit in this place of authority. They sit in this place of teaching you the law. All therefore whatsoever they bid you to observe, that observe and do. Jesus says, they're telling you to observe the law. Observe the law. Be faithful and obedient to the law of Moses. Yes. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. He says, pay attention. They're telling you to follow the commandments. Good. But don't act like them. Don't do the things they're doing. Because through their elders' traditions, they're violating the word of God. They're, they're saying we're keeping the law of Moses, but they're not actually keeping the law of Moses. And they were so arrogant, thinking we're great teachers of the word of God. But they were also very influential and held a lot of influence over the people's lives, so much that people were afraid to do anything contrary to the ways of the Pharisees. There were people who believed in Christ that held themselves back because they were afraid of what these Pharisees were going to do to them. John chapter 12, 42 through 43. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were so concerned. And there's other passages that show this. The people were afraid to say anything and speak up and say, this isn't right. Because then the Pharisees would cast them out of their synagogue. And, and excommunicate them from their community and treat them as some horrible traitors and violators of God's will. And people held themselves back because of the horrible influence of the Pharisees. These people, the Pharisees, did not want people to be turned to Christ. They did not want people to follow this teacher that's coming along, this blasphemer who says he's God, who's 
breaking the law of Moses, healing people on the Sabbath, claiming to be God, putting himself in such a position, and telling us that we are blind. We don't want people to follow this man. Where is he going to lead them? They didn't want that. Uh, you, see this, uh, you see this indication when there was a time where the Pharisees, all the people were starting to talk about Christ and saying, hey, well, you know, started to ask questions and there was these divisions that rose up among the people because some people wanted to follow him, some people didn't. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to take him at one point in, the, in, the, in his ministry in John chapter 7. Yet it was not his time yet. But the, the officers, when they went, they just, they just couldn't get him. They just... They couldn't bring themselves to do anything because they, they knew something was different about this man than what they were being told. And John 7, 45-49, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they say unto him, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. They were just stunned by his teaching. They were stunned by his authority and his doctrine. And they said, There's no one that's ever spoken like this man. And what was the Pharisees' reaction? Then answered the Pharisees, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knows not the law are cursed. That was their attitude. This man came and said, there's something different about this guy. No one has ever spoken like this. Not only that, they were seeing the miracles that Jesus was doing, healing people right before their very eyes. And the Pharisees' reaction, when somebody is telling them, pay attention to, to Christ, they're like, who are you? What, have you been swept up with this false doctrine too? Are you deceived? Look at us. Look to us as your model of what to believe. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? And their thinking is, we're the great teachers of the law of Moses, and if we're not teaching you this, you shouldn't be doing it. That's what they really believed about themselves as they sat in Moses' seat. And these people, these uneducated people who don't know anything about the law, you're cursed. This is how they taught uh, and, and how they treated people. They did not want to be taught by the common people. They especially didn't want to be taught about Jesus. And there was a blind man that Jesus healed following this in John chapter 7 a man that had been blind from his birth, and it was an undeniable fact in their community. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew his parents. All the Pharisees knew who he was, and Jesus heals the man right before their very eyes, and this man becomes able to see. And they question this man over and over, and you can read about that um, in, in John chapter 8 and 9. They bring him forward, and he's like, who healed you? And he's like, I don't know who healed me. How did you get your sight? Well, I don't know. All I know is that this one, this guy came and he did these things and I received my sight. Isn't this the one we've been looking for? And they're like, no, we need to get witnesses. Somebody else tell us this man wasn't blind from his birth, right? And they're like, no, he was. And now he sees. And so he constantly is telling them over and over and affirming the situation that happened and they just will not hear and will not believe. They even bring his, his parents uh, and question them. This, tell us if this is your son or not. And they're like, well, yeah, this is our son. And we know he was blind from birth. We don't know what happened. And they were really afraid to say, we know that it was the Christ. And it says there, they were afraid to say anything because of the Pharisees. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. They're like, we don't. Look, he's of age. He's accountable. Ask him. Don't ask us. So they go and question him again. Tell us what happened. And the guy's like, I already told you. And so that's where we pick up in John, 29, or John chapter 9, verse 27. Then he answered him, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Why do you want to hear this over and over again? Are you also going to become his disciples? Is there something I'm going to say that's going to convince you to be his disciple? Are you actually going to believe what I'm telling you? And then they reviled him and said, you're his disciple. We're, we're Moses' disciple. We know that God spake to Moses, but this guy, we don't know where he came from. We don't know who this man is. And the man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that you know not where from whence he is, 
and yet he hath opened mine eyes. How can you sit here and say, we have no idea who this guy is when you see the great miracles that he's doing? And I'm standing before you as evidence of this great man's power. We know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, and this is the blind man testifying and speaking truthfully to these Pharisees. He said, since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? This has never, ever been done before. We've never heard of anything like this. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. What was their response to hearing this, this plea for them to hear? They answered and said to them, you were all together born in sins, and you're going to teach us? They believed this man was born blind as a consequence of sin that his parents had committed or that he had committed some, he was sinful. Therefore, he was receiving retribution from God and punishment from him. And so they're saying, look, you were born in sin. You're an unclean person. How dare you try to teach us? How dare you try to instruct us, the great teachers of the law of Moses? And they cast him out. I don't want to hear this from this commoner. I don't want to hear from this man. He's not a great ruler or a great teacher or a great philosopher or one of our great rabbis. Why should we listen to him? He's just a dirty sinner. Although he wasn't, his sins were forgiven. He was more holy than they were, and they just were so blind and could not see it because he had been healed and forgiven by Christ. They trusted, another one of their beliefs, they trusted in, the, in their national identity. They believed that because they were the children of Abraham, they were saved, and they're fine. But they didn't know that they were truly the children of Satan and were in bondage. In John chapter 8, John 8, 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. He's trying to tell them there's a difference between the laws that these men are trying to teach you, these traditions of the elders. If you really want to be pure, if you really want to be saved, follow my word. He says, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Pharisees were like, what? They answered him, we're Abraham's seed and we were never slaves to anyone. How, how can you say you shall be made free? They thought we're the children of the promise. We're the children of freedom, of Sarah who was free born. How can you say that we were ever in slavery? How can you tell us we're already gonna, that we're going to be made free when we're already free? You have no idea what you're talking about. And they thought because they were the descendants of Abraham, they were fine. But Jesus clarifies that for them and says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. And they answered in unto him, Abraham's our father. And he said, if he were, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the works of Abraham. And he goes on to tell them how they're really the children of Satan. Satan was a liar, was seeking his own way, was seeking destruction, and was, was not wanting to submit himself to God. So that's what he's telling them. If you were really the children of Abraham, you would submit yourself to God. They didn't want that. They were really the slaves of Satan. And their national identity was not good enough. They really wanted people to be obedient to God's will. They wanted people to submit to the will of God. At least that's what they said. Yet they rejected the counsel of God. When John, John the Baptist came, this forerunner for the one that they've been waiting for, the Messiah that they've been looking for, to usher in the kingdom that they've been teaching about and holding on to, this hope. And so John the Baptist comes and tells the Jews, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And many people started to be baptized and become the disciples of John. And, and the Pharisees, uh, they hated that. Uh, but they came out to hear, what is this guy teaching? What is this guy saying? And they hear the message and they're like, nah, we're not going to do that. Uh, notice how Jesus describes this because he confirms the message of John saying, you should be doing this. This is the will of God. And in Luke 7, he, uh, Jesus honors John and he says, among those that are born of women, there's not one greater a prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. They heard Jesus honor this man and say, he's a great man. He is validating his message. I'm going to listen to what, 
what John is saying, I'm going to be baptized for the remission of my sins. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. They heard it and said, we're already good. We're already saved. We're the children of Abraham. We're already pure. We're already holy. We have no sins to repent of. Why should we be baptized? And they're like, man, we're not going to do that. This question was such a conflict, and there was such a debate about this, that, and it was causing such a stir among the people, that even Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, he came to Jesus secretly by night, probably so that he wouldn't be seen by his fellow Pharisees. He came to Jesus by night to talk to him about this. And what is it that Jesus says to him? Jesus answered, verily, verily, in John 3, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say to you that except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He's telling this man who is a devoted Pharisee who is waiting for the kingdom of God. He says, if you really want to be in the kingdom, you need to be born of water and the Spirit. You need to do what John is telling you to do. You need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, Nicodemus, and, and take part in this new birth. And Nicodemus is just, again, in the habit of justifying himself. Well, how am I going to be born again? I'm going to enter into my mother's womb and be born all over again. Totally missing the point. They trusted in the authority of men more. That's why. Because they really believed in the authority of men a lot more. Uh, in Matthew 21, verse 23, When he was come to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Knowing that this had been such a big contention that they were not following, they rejected the counsel of God to be baptized in the baptism of John. Jesus asked them this question about, because they questioned him, challenged his authority. Jesus answered and said unto, him, unto them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will in likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is saying, the answer to my question that I'm going to ask you is the answer to the question you're asking me. Where does my authority come from? The baptism of John, where did it come from? Where did it originate? Did it come from heaven or did it come from men? Simple enough question. Who gave that commandment? Who gave that order for people to be baptized for the remission of their sins and to repent? Did John make that up? Or did he get that from God and he's telling you this ordinance? And these Pharisees are sitting here thinking about it. And they reasoned with themselves because they knew they were trapped. They knew there was no way to... to to answer this question without indicting themselves. And they reasoned with themselves saying, well, on one hand, if we say it comes from heaven, if we agree with this man and say, okay, the authority comes from heaven, then he's going to say, well, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you believe him? But on the other hand, if we say, well, the, the baptism of John, it comes from the authority of men, we're afraid of the people because everyone thinks he's a prophet. They're going to stone us to death because we're saying this man's not a prophet. We're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I don't want to say it's from heaven because then we're agreeing with this guy. I don't want to say it's from men because then we're disagreeing with the people. So they answered and Jesus and said, we can't tell. We're not going to answer. And Jesus says, neither I tell you by what authority I do these things. You're going to choose to be so blind and ignorant I'm not going to tell you. Truly, they know they just are denying it because they trusted in the authority of men a lot more. They rejected God because they thought they were good, they were just fine, were holy, and elevated themselves. John 9, 30, 39, Jesus, Jesus uh, explains very clearly their problem. He says, for, for judgment I came into this world that they which see might not see. This is, again, in connection to the story of this blind man. They're like, who made you be able to see? And the blind man said, it was, it was this guy. He is able to make people see. And so he says, I am coming to this world so that the people who are blind might be able to see clearly. And that they who see clearly, or those who think they see clearly and think they're, they've got it all figured out, so that they can be made blind. And some of the Pharisees that were with, that, which were with him heard these words and said, are we blind also? Are you saying that we're blind? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? 
And Jesus said unto him, If you were, you would have no sin. Because then your eyes would be opened. If you were blind, you would allow Christ to let your eyes become opened, and your sins would be forgiven you. But now you say, We see. We clearly see. We understand. And we're fine. Therefore your sin remaineth. That was them rejecting the counsel of God against themselves, pretending they had it figured out when they just had no clue. They looked. This is the sad thing. They waited for the Messiah. They wanted the Messiah to come and usher in the kingdom of God, yet they believed it was a kingdom on earth that was coming. Yet they rejected Jesus because of their own blindness. When he demanded of the Pharisees, the, the Pharisees demanded of him, when will the kingdom of God come? He answered and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall you say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. He said, you're not going to be able to point to some physical structure and say, there's the kingdom and there's the kingdom. He said, no, it's inside of you. They just didn't get it. John 19, verse 15, they cried out. They made their allegiance known. This king said, I am the Messiah. I am your king. And they rejected him and crucified him and instead said, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. They made their allegiance very known. Although they waited for the king to come, when he came, they rejected him. And they missed it because they did not have God's word or God's love abiding in them. And that's what Jesus says. You have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, you, you do not believe him. Me, he's saying, God sent me and you don't believe me. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And, and you will not come to me that you might have life. I'm trying to give you life, but you won't come to me. I, I don't receive honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. And he goes on to tell them about how they're so concerned with the honor of men rather than seeking honor from God. And, the, and the, the heart of the matter is this, their worldliness prevented them from receiving the one whose motives were not worldly at all. He wasn't like them. He didn't act like them, and therefore they could not receive Christ. And they constantly demanded Christ to, be, to prove himself with the sign. Uh, and when he did, what did they do? The people were amazed and said, is this not the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. When they saw, and they demanded a sign, and when they saw him prove it with a miracle, they said, your power comes from Satan. That's how blind, that's how hateful, that's how hard their, heart, uh, hard their hearts had become. Even after he raised Lazarus, and many people saw it, and many people could not deny it, what they did instead was plotted to kill him. In John 11, many of the Jews came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did and believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? What do we do? This guy is doing many miracles, and if we leave him alone, everyone's going to believe on him. Everyone's going to follow him, and they're going to stop following us. And the Romans, because they know that this is the Messiah, they know we have these messages about a Messiah coming and is a political figure and going to destroy our enemies. When they hear about this, they're going to take both our place as this authority and our prominence among the people and our nation. They're going to move us out of the way and destroy us. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being a high priest, uh, the high priest that same year said to them, you know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient. It's convenient for us if one man would die for the people, then the whole, per the whole nation perish not. They were like, you know what? It's okay. Let this guy say he's the Messiah. We'll reject him. Let's kill him so that our nation can be spared. And the Bible says it, he was actually prophesying about Jesus' death. They thought they were saving themselves and their nation by crucifying Christ, and Christ really was the one saving them through his death, and at least offering them a way to be saved through his death. They had it so backwards and were so blinded and did not know, were driven by their hate against Christ. And when they asked him for a sign, Jesus says, you know what, that's wicked. Certain of the scribes of the Pharisees saying, Master, we would see a sign. They constantly asked over and over and over and over again for signs. He showed them and they wouldn't believe. He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. 
And he goes on to say, Jonas was in the belly of the whale three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the earth for three days. He's saying, you want a sign to prove that I am the Son of God? I'll show you a sign. You're wicked and you're adulterous and you're constantly asking me for a sign to prove that I am who I am. Don't ask for signs from God. But I'm going to give you one, and that is the sign of the resurrection. Because that's something they believed in. That's something they waited for. They wanted the resurrection. Yet when it came time for the resurrection of Jesus, they did everything they could to stop it. They did not want this to happen. He said he's going to be raised up again. He went, they went to Pilate after he was crucified and, and created this plot with him. And he said on, in Matthew 27, the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember that this deceiver said, while he was alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure, secure this tomb until the third day, unless his disciples would come by night, steal him away, and say to the people, he's risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. We don't want people at all to believe that there was a, a resurrection at all. So to remove any potential of that happening, go and set a guard, go and set a watch, put soldiers around the tomb, seal the temple, do everything we can to stop this man from being raised, and everything we can because we don't think he's really going to be raised. What we think is going to happen is disciples will come by night, take his body. There's no body. Then they can say, oh, there's no body because he was resurrected. And then everyone's going to believe this message, and then they're going to go way off into the ditch. And things are going to be much worse than they started because they're going to believe this man raised up from the dead. Of course, they couldn't do anything to stop the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was raised. Uh, those soldiers, uh, when he was raised, were all, they all were put to sleep. And Jesus walked right through all of them. No problem at all. The Pharisees couldn't stop it. Yet they paid the soldiers off and said, well, tell them that the disciples came and stole his body. That's why he's not here. And so they, they made a deal with the soldiers. The soldiers got this big payout. And they said, we'll protect you from your, from your officers if they question you. So you won't die because you let this man's body be taken. And they made this plot. And so there became this tradition among the Pharisees that Jesus wasn't resurrected at all. His disciples took him. And that's what some people believed. They held people back from knowing the truth about the resurrection of Jesus and cast them into the pit of hell. Now, finally, to, to, to close things out, I want to look very quickly. We won't read all of Matthew chapter 23, but I do want to give you a breakdown and a summary of the things that these people were doing. Because in Matthew 23, right before his, his uh, crucifixion at their hands, Jesus gives a scathing rebuke to these men, to these leaders, who these the pretenders is what he called them. They were pretenders. That's what the word hypocrite means. Somebody who is a stage actor. You have a mask on. You're putting on this great show and this great pretense and pretending like you're some great thing, but deep down inside, you're really not. You're not being genuine, a, a follower of God. In, in Matthew 23, he says things like this, For they bind heavy burdens and are grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They pretend to be these great teachers of law, but don't do the things that they tell people to do. Remember, he said, observe the law, but don't do what they're doing because they're not really carrying out the commandments of God. So what he's saying is that they pretend to have responsibility on themselves, but they put it all on everybody else. They put this great heavy burden on everyone else, but take no responsibility for themselves. In verse 5 through 7, he says, they do their works to be seen of men. And he gives examples of the things they do and the things that they love. And it boils down to this. They pretend to be genuine spiritual leaders, well-respected in the community, and they love that. They thrive on that being, oh, I love the handshakes and the marketplace, and oh, I want to be known, and I get the high fives, and everybody knows that I'm this great teacher and because I'm, I'm a great spiritual leader. But they only want recognition and status. In verse 13, uh, 
going down into, into verse 13, I mean, he tells them, don't be called rabbi, don't be called master, don't lift yourself up to such status and people calling you these, all these great names, lifting you up. Don't do that. Humble yourself instead. In verse 13, he says, Woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and you do not go in yourself, and you do not allow them who are entering to go in. What he's saying is that these people, uh, they pretended, that should say verse 13, they pretended to give people the knowledge of God's kingdom, but what they were actually doing was blocking their way in. The Pharisees refused the counsel of God against themselves. They refused to follow Christ. They refused to listen to His commandments. And any converts they made, they, 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 uh, they did not want them to enter into the kingdom of God themselves. And, and those people to go in, they were blocking the way in by obscuring. There's other passages that show us what Jesus is saying is you're taking the knowledge away that people need to enter into the kingdom of God through their vain commandments and their conduct. In verse 14, he, he, he indicts them and says, You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. So what they were doing is they pretended to care about widows. They pretended to care about people that were suffering and going into their homes and making these long prayers. But really what they were doing is taking advantage of the vulnerable to get their money. They saw it as an opportunity to get gain from these people. Oh, you're hurting and you're, oh, I'm going to come and I'm going to provide this service. I'm going to do this thing. I really just care about your money. I'm covetous, and I just want to get what you have. In verse 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You compass land and sea to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more, the child of hell than yourselves. Through their precepts, through their vain traditions of following the, the elders' commandments, what they were doing was making converts to the elders' commandments rather than making converts to Jesus. And he says, You're pretending to go out and convert people to God, but instead you're making them converts to your doctrine, and what you're doing is making them twice as much the child of hell. You're not making them children of the kingdom. You're making them children of hell because you're leading them so far astray by your doctrines and your commandments. In verse 16 through 22, he gives examples about them being blind guides and talking about how they swear by the temple, saying, oh, the temple's nothing, but the gift and the gold, that is something. Basically, what he's saying is that they pretended to value the sanctity of the temple and the holiness of the temple and the altar but they didn't value that at all. What they really valued was the gifts that people were offering. Ah, that's what we really care about. And the gold that, people, that, that is on the temple, that's what we really ca care about and what we really value. And, and they tell people like, hey, don't, if, you, if you swear an oath by the temple, whatever. But if you swear an oath by the gold, well, you need to make good on that and make sure you give us what you said you're going to give. Make sure that you're offering what you said you're going to offer because they really, really cared about money. They really, really cared about these possessions. Their value system was totally wrong and messed up. In verse 23 through 24, uh, he says, Woe, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, like judgment and mercy and faith. These ought to you have to, you should have done those first things, but you should not have left the other things undone. And really what he's saying is that you are pretenders, you're hypocrites, you're stage actors. You're pretending to pay attention to the smallest details of the law and making sure you're carrying these things out, but you're ignoring the heavier and most important things, the foundations of the law, mercy and faith and the love of God and, 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 uh, and judgment, as he says. You're totally ignoring those things, just pretending, putting on this show like you care about the smallest things like these plants. You're offering mint and anise and these spices, and you're making sure to measure that out, your tithe, you don't put attention and care into following the, th the heavier things from the law and offer that to God. Verse 25 through 26, he rebukes them and says, Scribes, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within are full of extortion and excess. What he's saying to them is, you're pretending to be clean and pure. You're pretending to be this holy person but inside your heart is filled with extortion. Inside your heart is filled with excess. You just want more and more for yourself, and you are looking for ways to get more out of people and extort them. And you pretend all the while to be holy. Why? Because you clean the outside. You washed your hands before you ate the food. You, you made sure to bathe after you came from the marketplace. You're just doing this to gain more and more for your own self. Verse 27 and 28 
He says, Woe to you, you're like them that are like whited sepulchers, tombs, like cleaned up, beautified tombs. But indeed, you appear beautiful outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones. He says, you pretend to be outwardly beautiful. And you can look at Matthew chapter 5 for the things they were doing. They wore these long robes. They made sure that the borders on the garments were longer and bigger because that was a sign of how righteous and how knowledgeable and their status. They had these phylactery boxes that they would put scriptures inside to show people how much they reference scripture and how much they look at scripture and how much they think about scripture. And they would enlarge in those boxes and make them bigger and bigger so people could see, look at how knowledgeable and how wonderful I am. They would do all these things to make themselves appear outwardly amazing and beautiful. And when you look at them going, wow, those guys are really spiritual. Those guys are really religious. Those guys are, are the people of God. He says, you pretend to be outwardly beautiful, but what's inside of you? Death, rottenness, corruption. That's what's really inside of you. Finally, 29 through 38. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. You say, well, if we had been there, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. And what he's saying is that you pretend to honor the prophets of God. You pretend to honor the messengers, the messengers of God. But you don't. Really, you hate them and you would have killed them, and you're going to kill them. Because your heart, my word, God's love, has, no, has nothing in you. What's in you is corruption and uncleanness and rottenness and pride and extortion. And you want more and more for yourself, and you want to find ways to abuse people to get more of what you want to, so that they can follow your doctrine, so that you can feel good about yourself and lead them in the ways that you think are right in the commandments of men and not in the commandments of God. These were not the people of God. Now, there were some good ones. There were good men that turned from the Pharisees that followed Christ. Um, and not, so not, not all of them were this way, but a majority of them absolutely were. So why is it so important for us to spend time? I know it was a little lengthy, but I think it's extremely important for us to know about the Pharisees. Because we don't want to end up acting like them. We need to be devoted to following the scriptures and following the commandments of God. But we absolutely do not need to become like the Pharisees. And when you analyze and look at what their problem was, Jesus wasn't upset about their desire to follow God. He wasn't upset about their desire to obey the law of Moses. In fact, he told them, search the scriptures. That's where life is. Do the commandments of God. Do the commandments of Moses. Follow that. That's what's going to judge you. That's what he told them. They were right to tell people, follow the law of God. But where they went wrong was becoming filled with wickedness because they obeyed men, all the while pretending to be the children of God and obeying Him. Their foundation was totally wrong. It was the foundation of sand, not the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 5, you go and examine the Sermon on the Mount. He gives plenty of examples of the things that they were doing that were horrible and were wrong. And he ends off, or he begins telling some of these things to the people, warning, and this is exactly why we don't need to be like the Pharisees. Matthew 5, 18 through 20, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle shall in, in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus is concerned with the law of God being obeyed and being fulfilled. Let's make that clear. Because sometimes people use the Pharisees and they say, well, God hates rules. Jesus was mad because they had rules. And that's not why he was mad. He was mad because they had their own rules and were not following God's rules. They were not following God's commandments. So Jesus is concerned with the law being fulfilled. And he says, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
We need to make sure, brethren, family, that we look at this example of the Pharisees and learn from it. Learn how to treat our relationship with God. Learn how to properly view other people. Learn how to properly view ourselves in light of of God and our service in His kingdom. Learn a proper view of godliness and holiness and learn how to treat the scriptures. We want to be doers and teachers of that word and not of our own doctrines. Else our righteousness will be just like the Pharisees and we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's important for us to know these things and I hope that it's, it's been uh, eye-opening for all of us. There's not a one of us in this room who should be looking at this material going, man, look how terrible those Pharisees were. Because if you're honest with yourself, as we go through those lists of things they believed and the ways they acted, we can see ourselves in that. I think we can. I can. And we need to be humble and honest and open about that to God and acknowledge our our ways before Him and, and repent from these things and have a proper view of the Scriptures and God's commandments. So let's not become arrogant in our self-righteousness or in self-righteousness thinking, thank God I'm not like these guys. We are like these guys. In In some ways we can be and can very easily become that way if we're not on guard and not paying attention. If you're here this morning and and you know that there are problems in your life, maybe there's something that resonates with you here about how you view other people, about how you treat other people, about maybe taking too much pride in your lineage, maybe taking too much pride in your own thoughts and directions of the scriptures, instead of just leaning wholly on the scriptures of God and and the the message of Christ and His ways for us to be saved uh, and and how to carry out those good works. If you know that there's some kind of a problem, humble yourself and come forward um, and we'll pray together. That's the thing. It's not to be seen of men. It's not to be lifted up. It's not so that we can feel good about, oh, we made somebody come forward. Nothing. That, that should not be the case at all. And that is not our goal. Our goal is to help bring each other to repentance and accountability and to help each other grow because we're family and we care about each other. We want, we want all of us to, to win together as we pursue Christ. Um, If you're here this morning and are not baptized into Christ and want the salvation of Christ, don't reject the counsel of God against yourself. Know what the scriptures say. We must be baptized into Christ to have our sins washed away, to, to experience the new birth, to have forgiveness of our sins, to become in Christ and a member of his body, and then begin living in the ways that he's commanded us to to observe. So uh, if you want that, that blessing, don't reject that against yourself. Uh, if there's anyone that has a need, please come forward as we stand and we sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.